Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Choice. Choice is a good thing. We like to have choices, don't we? This morning, think of the different choices you made, not just to come out and brave the snow, but choices regarding your choice of breakfast. Did you have an apple or did you have a donut? Did you have eggs or waffles or something else? Your choice of coffee, right? We have loads of choices of coffee, not just whether to have coffee or not, but what flavor coffee I'm going to have. Maybe one of the 12 different places I passed on the way here to get my coffee, right? We have choices. uh, Our shoes. Um, I have one pair of black shoes, and so I wore my one pair of black shoes. But, you know, these shoes probably fare well in the weather, but we have choices, right? Uh, We have choices from... Uh, what we wear to what we purchase, uh, how many you know, different varieties of paper towels or bath tissue do we have available? We like our choices. And the great thing about our choices is that we've also turned this into, we include choices in our books. We have these, I love these as a kid, choose your own adventure books. Right? You get to choose, this is actually a book I had. Um, it, I did not choose the right adventure because I'm not a millionaire. Uh, But you could choose based on what you read. Turn to page 27 if you choose this, or turn to page 17 if you choose that. We love our choices. If I finished all of my schoolwork, I could go play Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail on the single-color Apple computer that sat in the back. Now, this is actually more up-to-date than what I had, because this has like four colors. I only had one. And so your choices were that you could either survive and survive the Oregon Trail, or you would not survive, and you would die of dysentery, which oftentimes happened uh, to me. Now, oftentimes, our choices, though, on a daily basis, are not a life and death situation. Life and death is not hanging in the balance with the choices we make most days. Sometimes our choices do, though, have serious consequences. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a group of people over the course of several verses, that had multiple opportunities to make the right choice. We're going to see what Jesus has to say about the choice they make. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 45. We are picking up our series called No Greater Love, and we are going to finish out the Gospel of Luke as we've been studying over the last several years, actually, in various bits and pieces. And so in order for us to stay on task, we're going to be completing large portions of Scripture. Today is no different. So Luke 19, uh, starting in verse 45, I will be reading from the ESV version this morning. And so here in verse 45... And he, that is Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. 
but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Let's pause there. Last week, Dave shared with us, and we learned about the triumphal entry, or as I think Dave called it, the tragic approach. As Jesus approaches the city of Jerusalem, and he knows what he's about to face, he weeps over the destruction of the coming city several years later. Actually, it was a prophecy of A.D. 70. But here, Jesus, he now enters the temple. So if last week what Dave talked about was Palm Sunday, that would make where we pick up today in verse 45, Monday. Monday of Holy Week. And so Jesus enters the temple. And what does he see? These robbers, these folks, this marketplace that the temple has become. So on the screen here, you'll see a picture of the temple. And you'll see these two courts called the Court of the Gentiles. And that's a place where uh, the religious leaders and other folks would be selling their, their stuff that you might need for worship. So if you were traveling from a while and you didn't have a, a, a pigeon or you didn't have a, an animal for sacrifice, you could buy it here in the, the marketplace in this court of Gentiles. But unfortunately, it became more about profit than it did about worship. It became more about profit and wealth than prayer and worship. And so this this bothers Jesus. This is the first thing he sees as we read the text. He comes into the temple, and this is what is going on. And so Jesus responds. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus cleansed the temple, though. He did the beginning of his ministry, and that's recorded in John chapter 2. What we see here, Jesus comes in. He's cleansing it now at the end of his ministry as he enters the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus says that this, my father's house, he's quoting Isaiah 56, 7. And Isaiah 56, 7 says this, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Jesus talks about that. And then he goes to Jeremiah 7, 11. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Jesus takes these two Old Testament scriptures and puts them together and, and he says, this is, you've taken the house of prayer, what was the Lord's house of prayer, and you've turned to the den of robbers. A den for robbers is where they go to hide. And so now the religious leaders have turned the temple into this, this profit-driving business. It's no longer about worship. In fact, this was the only area where the Gentiles were to be. So the religious leaders should have been witnessing, should have been proclaiming you know, the scripture, should have been teaching them about the scriptures. And instead, they're preying on them in a different sense making money, trying to drive profits up. Now, I love Matthew's account of this. You know, Matthew's account, Matthew says this, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those, drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Jesus doesn't do boring. Jesus doesn't do boring. Jesus did not walk in very sort of quietly and, you know, kind of say, hey, you guys really shouldn't be here. Um, my house should be a house of prayer. You've made a den of robbers. Imagine this scene. Jesus comes in and overturns the tables. I mean, just, whoom, table this way, table that way, pigeons flying everywhere. There's chaos in the marketplace. Jesus is driving seats out of the money changers. He's turning tables over. This is not a quiet, boring scene. Jesus is showing the emphasis here that they have taken away from prayer and worship to being prophet and how they've totally changed the context of everything. It's not a good scene. It's not good. They've rejected their purpose as religious leaders for teaching the people and instead they're, they're trying to make money. 
Well, this upsets the religious leaders. I mean, this was how they made money. This is what they did. And now they don't like it. And so now they have a choice to make. They kind of let this slide? No. The text says instead that they did anything they could, or the chief priests were seeking to destroy him. This is not just like, we don't like him, we're going to kind of drive him out. They sought to destroy him. Your translation might say kill. The word that's translated from the Greek here actually is like destroy. Like, I'm going to do everything I can to destroy you. I'm not just going to try to kill you. I'm going to try to destroy your credibility. It's almost like I want to make it so that you don't exist anymore. He's really upset the religious leaders. And so now they've made a choice. Their first choice now is they are going to seek to destroy him. But they can't do anything because the people are there. And the people are hanging on his words. So now they choose to do nothing. They wait. And so now we pick up in chapter 20, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things and who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man... All the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered, and they, did not, they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So they ask a question. This is Tuesday now. This is Tuesday now. Jesus is teaching in the temple. And so they, they pose this question. They're questioning his authority as he's teaching and preaching the gospel. Now, I find it really interesting here in this passage that Jesus is preaching the gospel. Jesus has yet to die on the cross, and Jesus has yet to raise from the dead. But he's preaching the good news as Jesus the Messiah, the, Mas the Savior who has come before them. And so these things, they, what authority are you doing these things? From the context, these things is what happened on Monday. <laughs> what, all that went down, that chaos that happened on Monday, by what authority did you do these things? All that turning of tables and the chaos that you made and you disrupted our livelihood, you disrupted our profit making. By what authority do you do these things? So Jesus responds with a question, which I love that he does this. This is fantastic. So he says, John the Baptist, who they all knew about John the Baptist. At, the point, at this point, John the Baptist has already been murdered, beheaded. But the people knew about John, and the people were convinced that John was a prophet. And so Jesus says, the people loved John. People were convinced he's a prophet. So by what authority did John do his ministry? Well, they're in a pickle, right? Because if they say that it was by heaven, the same authority from the Lord, from God, if they say from that authority, well, then... Now they're rejecting Jesus, and John was the forerunner for Jesus. So if they now reject John, or if they rejected John, now they're rejecting Jesus, and so they can't answer by heaven. That's not good. That doesn't make sense for them. But if they say by man, well, the people are convinced that John was a prophet, and he was loved by people. 
And so now they're scared about appearances. They'll lose their power. They'll lose their influence. And the people will be so angry, they'll have a revolt and will stone them to death. So they play dumb. I don't know. I don't know what, by what authority. They have the opportunity here to make a choice. Will they continue to reject the prophet, John, and therefore the Messiah who's standing right in front of them? Or will they reject the people and lose their power? They're trapped in their own trap. Nice work, Jesus. Do they admit their own failure to recognize John the Baptist and consequently Jesus as the Messiah? Or do they reject the people and make that choice to now bring revolt and lose loss of power? By rejecting John the Baptist, it's actually rejection of Jesus. Now, Jesus responds, and so he says, neither will I tell you. But Jesus isn't playing dumb here. Jesus doesn't play dumb. He doesn't report to them. He is not their authority. His authority is God the Father. So he says, I don't have to answer your question. And in fact, as you kind of study over this as, a, as commentators and study the scriptures and look at the gospels, really the answer should be obvious by whose authority John's power came. And so therefore it should be obvious that was God the Father. And so it should be obvious that Jesus' power is God the Father as well. But they don't want to admit that. They don't want to give in to that. So Jesus says, look, in a sense, the answer is here obvious. So I don't have to answer to you. Well, they don't like that either. Warren Wearsby says this, if they had disobeyed God's message given by John the Baptist, they would disobey the message given by God's son as well. You reject the prophet and reject the Messiah. They've made poor choice. And they reject the messenger and then reject the son of God. This sets us up for the parable now that Jesus is about to tell. We pick it up here in verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And then he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? This is a question Jesus asks. He will come. And destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. It was not uncommon in the Middle Eastern time, or even in our day and age now, in various countries, even here in America, 
you have uh, land that's owned by someone and they rent it out or lease it out to tenants who live there, work the land, and then produce the results and the vineyard owner will come and collect. You know, not uncommon, that happens. Um, and so whether or not they believe that, the tenants believe that the owner was dead or not, some scholars disagree on that or they say perhaps they thought he was dead so they can just kind of do what they want. But messengers show up, and three times the vineyard owner sent a messenger to collect the fruit of their labor. And each time they beat and reject that messenger. So the owner says, all right, well, you won't respect my messengers. You won't respect my representatives so who come in my name, who come representing me. So he says, I'll send my beloved son. Now, from the context here, we understand that this is probably the, vineyards, or the vineyard owner's only son since the tenants are talking about heirs and inheritance and all that kind of stuff. So, so the story, you know, Jesus paints this parable here of three times they had a chance, they reject. Now he sends his son, they seek to kill him. And they think they're going to get away with it. And they think that they're going to have that inheritance for their own. So Jesus says, what then do you think is going to happen when the vineyard owner shows up? He will destroy them and give the land or the inheritance of someone else. And they're appalled by this. Like, surely not that's going to happen. And so as, as we read through this and as we, we put this together, the logic of these tenants really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Because if, if they're really working the land and they should be thankful for the fact that they have land to work, they have jobs, they have shelter, they have all these things. And so now when it comes and the, the son shows up, they're going to kill him and think that the owner's not going to notice and will just give them everything. There's not a lot of logic going on here. Now, some would suggest that this parable also teaches the progression of our sin, that once we start to sin, we continue in our sin, it kind of gets worse sin, things like this. And so there's a lot of opportunities here for Jesus to, to tell us some truth. And so what he does here is he, he's painting this picture of what's going to happen, right? So the landowner in this parable represents God the Father. The three uh, servants or representatives that came could be the prophets of the Old Testament, could certainly include John the Baptist, perhaps, who were all rejected. And so now the son, the beloved son, who's Jesus, is sent and is killed in the parable. The land, the blessing, not really sure. I mean, that could be the kingdom of God. It could be blessing. It could be the promise. Uh, some scholars kind of debate on some of that. Uh, but either way, it will be given to somebody else other than the religious leaders. So the drama of this scene that plays out, Jesus has just dropped this uh, truth bomb of epic proportions that the landowner is going to come and destroy the tenants. And that the people respond with, surely not. And Jesus looks directly at them. As I think about this scene playing out, again, I, I love to, to read scripture and to think in my mind how this plays out. Maybe it's my theater background. I don't know. But I, I love to picture this. And Jesus looks directly at them. The, the savior of the world, the creator of the universe, has just painted a picture of what's going to happen through this parable. And they totally miss it. And Jesus looks directly at them. 
It's like that serious look when your kids say something ridiculous. You just kind of look, I look over my glasses. And Jesus says, now, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That stone, that that little stone that might be an annoyance to you now, they've rejected, they've tossed it off to the side, they have no use for it. Jesus says that stone that you cast aside will become the cornerstone. Bill McDonald, he's a commentator, he, he says this, the Jewish builders had rejected Christ the stone. They had no place in their plans for him. But God was determined that he would have the place of preeminence by making him the chief corner stone a stone which is indispensable and the place of greatest honor. Jesus says anybody who stumbles on this stone and rejects Jesus, well, when that stone returns, will crush them. Jesus is talking about day of judgment. And not just crush and kill, but your translation may say turn to dust or powder. Jesus says very serious consequences when you reject the Messiah. And Jesus is no longer playing around. I don't think Jesus ever really played around. But Jesus isn't holding back anymore. Because you know what? The cross is three days away. This is Tuesday. As Jesus' earthly ministry comes down to an end, the cross is coming. He knows the cross is coming. And the religious leaders, rather than being mentors, and rather than trying to to preach the gospel, or to preach the good news, or teach the scripture, to say, look out for this Messiah, instead, rather than mentoring the people and ministering to the people, instead they've set murder in their hearts. Rather than being captivated by the promised Messiah, instead they try to capture a supposed perpetrator. They've rejected Jesus. They've made their choice. They make a choice to choose their power, their influence, their greed over accepting the Messiah who stood in front of them. And Jesus says there are serious consequences. As they sought to destroy Jesus, it is their rejection of Jesus that will bring their own destruction. Friends, we have a choice to make. To accept Jesus is our greatest choice. It's the greatest choice we could ever make. We have an opportunity to accept or reject Jesus. The religious leaders, they made their choice. They had several opportunities to accept Jesus, not just in the passage today, but all throughout the Gospels. And instead, they chose to murder. They weren't living out the law. They weren't living out the scriptures. They weren't religious leaders. They were murderous. They had set it in their heart to destroy him. There is no greater, more important choice that we can make as human beings, than to choose Jesus. To trust in him with this free gift of salvation for that grace, that living water. We know John 3.16, John 3.16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The vineyard owner sent his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The cornerstone is coming back. Now, I don't know. Perhaps this is the first time you've, you've heard the gospel or, or heard about Jesus. If it is, God is hopefully sending you a message. God doesn't desire for any to perish. God wants you to know and to come to Jesus. I hope that you do that. I mean, that's what happens. Maybe you've heard the message several times and there's something holding you back before you make the decision to choose Jesus. I, I don't know what that is, but I hope that you'll make that decision to follow Jesus because if not, I mean, Jesus says there's judgment. There's, there's, it's, it's not a good scene afterwards, but not just about that. I mean, it's about life. It's about knowing Christ as Savior, as Messiah, as, as the, the true living water. He is the vine, you know, as Scripture teaches. Now, for those of us that, that are followers of Jesus, we've made that decision. Um, you know, we're not, we're not done. <laughs> it's not like we're perfect now. And, you know, we've made a decision to follow Jesus once, and that's it. That's all I got to do. And we can't lose our salvation. Let me be very clear. We cannot lose our salvation. Scripture's very clear on that. But every day we are faced with decisions and choices that we have to decide whether I'm going to put Jesus first or something else. This week I took a little three by five card and I, you know, as the Lord convicts you as you're ready to preach a message, you know, I, I took this little three by five card and I wrote on that card, today I choose Jesus over and I put a blank. Because I don't know what it's going to be from day to day, from moment to moment. Who knows? As I'm driving here and somebody cuts you off, I'm going to choose Jesus over some other response. You know, maybe for you it's, it's a relationship that you need to put Jesus first in a relationship. Maybe you need to put Jesus first over an addiction. Maybe you need to put Jesus first over a recurring sin or some other sort of issue that you've got going on. We, every day, we need to decide, not for our salvation's sake, but to have life abundant in Christ, to live a life worthy of his calling, to live a life that, that proclaims the name of Jesus. We need to put Jesus first and choose Jesus over whatever the world might say, whatever society says, whatever sort of nonsense they're going to send our way, we need to choose Jesus first. You know, the religious leaders, they, they realized that Jesus was talking about them. Verse 19, Dave's actually supposed to start in verse 19 next week, but we're going to borrow it for today. The chief, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. Friends, we need to accept Jesus as our greatest choice. To accept Jesus is our greatest choice. And every day we need to choose to follow him in every decision that we make. The religious leaders made their choice. They chose murder. They, choose, they chose rejection. They chose to sought and sought to destroy him. And Jesus says there's consequences for that. But Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. 
When we choose Jesus, we choose life and life to the fullest. Why would we want to choose anything other than that? Jesus. We need Jesus. We need to accept Jesus as our greatest choice and follow him every day in our choices. Let's pray. Father, we, we read through this passage, and it, I, I don't know about my friends here, but Lord, it, it, it sort of breaks my heart to see how folks could reject and, and deny Christ and to set in their hearts for murder. But Lord, we know it was part of your plan. We know, Lord, that the events of, of the scriptures, we know the events of, of the narrative that we read this morning, Lord, are such that it sets the scene for Jesus to pay the ultimate price to give his life as a ransom for many, to take my place on that cross where it should have been me. Lord, I I pray that every day we would choose to follow him by the, the power of Christ who lives in us, by the Holy Spirit who indwells us, Lord, that we would choose Jesus every single day. Lord, help us to tune out the the voices of the world, the voices of the enemy, the voices of our flesh, Lord, that would tend to draw us away from you. Lord, may we seek hard after you to live our lives uh, loving you, wanting that living water, Lord, so we'll never thirst again. As Jesus shared with the woman at the well, true living water, Lord, that quenches our thirst, restores our lives. Father, I I pray for my friends here that perhaps don't know you yet or have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus. Lord, there's no greater choice. You're calling to them. Lord, may they today make that decision. Lord, I hope they'll do that. Lord, give us the grace, the mercy, and the power to live every day for you. We ask this in Christ's name.